Hello and welcome to this discussion sponsored by PSG Wealth where we'll be tackling the question is a BRICS currency a viable option? And if you are to do a uh, cursory search online right now, or just some of the things that people are talking about, you'll see that uh, arguments for the use of a different reserve currency for other than the US dollar is nothing new. And uh, once again, this year, the weaker emerging market currencies and economies, some members of the BRICS uh, family have been suggesting the creation of a BRICS currency but the real question that we are looking to tackle is how viable is the suggestion my name is Mbidio Gavaza, business writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for this conversation. And joining me is Adrian Pask, who is Chief Investment Officer over PSG Wealth, who explains some of the requirements of a reserve currency and why it's unlikely that the US dollar could be dethroned anytime soon. Adrian, greetings to you today. Hello, Mediba. Thank you very much for having me. Now, uh, Adrian, I think we've already said it uh, in the intro that uh, this is not the first time that we've heard of a possible uh, creation of a BRICS currency, but uh, there does seem to have been some type of an intensification of this discussion, of this particular possibility. People talking about it, lots of statements being made by some of the leaders that actually make up uh, the leadership of these uh, countries that we're talking about, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. We've actually heard some of the presidents making statements and then lots of calls intensifying. Why do you think on your side that this issue has been making as much of a noise as it has in the headlines recently? Yes, I think if we look at the broader landscape and the geopolitical tensions combined with the broader macro backdrop, I think it shouldn't actually be a surprise. I think the, the first thing to keep in mind is obviously the tensions between the US and, and China has been a, a long-standing issue. But I think what's really propelled the fears there is what we've seen happening between Russia and, and the US since the onset of the war. So essentially what, what they've now done is the weaponization of the dollar, where US authorities have sanctioned Russia and also see some of the assets. So I think it creates some fears that there's too much control from the Western world into how the economies operate. And I think that the second point is the very strong dollar that we've seen over a protracted period, especially in relation to other emerging market currencies. And that's really been a, a big issue from a from an economics perspective, the impact on, on emerging markets. Now, Adrian, I really like what you said just now. As someone who has actually been following quite quite a bit around this particular issue, it has been quite interesting the way that this, this has been coming up, and especially right now. And you mentioned some of the geopolitical reasons why we find ourselves here. But I like the way that you phrase weaponizing the US dollar. I don't think I've heard someone phrasing it in that way, but it does speak quite a bit to the sanctions 
restrictions, all of those limits and what what can happen when you have more than half of global trade being done in a currency that actually, in essence, belongs to one particular country. But maybe you could give us some insight because we keep throwing around the term reserve currency. What are actually the requirements to actually have a reserve currency for someone to actually say our currency is a reserve currency? What actually needs to happen on the ground? What are the characteristics that need to be in place for something like that to happen? And, you know, maybe tied to that, can you have more than one reserve currency or do you sort of make a collective decision as a world? And that's that. Yeah, that's a good question. I think maybe the, the first one to cover is really what what's the purpose of a reserve currency. So ultimately, what you're aiming to do is to put sufficient reserves in place so that you can have efficient trade. So where two countries have a lot of interaction from a trade perspective, it makes sense to have a central currency down. It speeds up trade quite a bit. And there's no need for foreign exchange reserve to, to be converted to alternative currencies to accommodate trade. And you've got to find sufficient amounts of currency and all, all of that. And obviously, it introduces some foreign exchange risk as, as well there. So that's really the, the purpose of it. But if you consider keeping sufficient reserves in a currency also to essentially as insurance to have a stable economy, to ensure that you can still facilitate a sufficient amount of trade in the event that something should happen to your own currency. The whole purpose of that, of that interaction is to make sure that you have something that's reasonably stable and trustworthy on your balance sheet that you can rely on during times of stress. And I think this is where the U.S. has played a, a very important role since the 1970s, because if you look at the, the U.S. economy and the political environment, it's quite stable, it's quite transparent, the economy has scale, it's democratic in nature, the policies that they implement are very reasoned, it's a well-regulated environment, and most importantly is that it's it's open and free. So, you know, international trade is, is quite, quite easy. And, and the governance around all of that is incredibly strong and transparent and open to the free economy. And those are many of the characteristics that you wouldn't find in many of the, the, the EM countries. And I think that's why there is some potential struggles there to introduce an, a new reserve currency leader. Uh, that being said, uh, you can hold other reserves. So to your second question, as a country, you are more than able to carry in South Africa's case, we don't have to just carry US dollars as a reserve currency. We, we're more than able to carry additional currencies out there. If we've got significant trade relations with China, as we do, for example, we can carry that Europe as well, et cetera, and the list goes on. So it doesn't prevent you from holding the reserves, but there is only one global reserve currency, which is the dollar. It is an interesting uh, position that we do find ourselves in because having started off the discussion talking about some of the reasons why you're seeing a lot more discussion from emerging market countries saying that they want to create a reserve currency of their own. But then the way that you outline the characteristics of what a reserve currency is, one begins to slowly chip away at the possibility of uh, having an EM or emerging market currency actually being the global reserve currency. And it 
then begs a number of questions because you've mentioned so many benefits now. So then the question then becomes, why do we then regularly hear, especially from emerging market countries, that they want to move away from the US dollar? Yes, right now in this moment, we're talking about geopolitical tension, but that's a situation that we're having today. Russia, Ukraine, US-China trade war, all of that stuff is happening in this moment. But this has been a discussion that has been going even before some of these specific issues came to the fore. Why do you see that continuation of the conversation, especially in the face of the characteristics that you spoke about? Yeah, I think the motivations for, for the different emerging markets are, are quite different. So you can appreciate from a Russian perspective, for example, they, they've now felt the brunt of being dependent on, on a dollar to an extent and then, and then also feeling the wrath of, of its control. So the US can exert quite a bit of control through its power over the dollar and how that's integrated into the system. But I think if you think of a country like South Africa, why are we involved in the whole debate? If anything, we should try and steer clear of, of any of these controversies because we're trying to to rebuild to, to a large extent. And I think the frustration is that we seem to get involved in these discussions and, and they, they often don't, don't bode well for our own reputation. But I think our motivation, similar to some of the other emerging markets, not associated with geopolitics so much, is that the strong dollar has had a massive economic impact on our economies. So it, it impacts our current account, for example, especially if the prices of exported goods are under pressure. We've been fortunate that commodity prices have been a bit higher in recent years. But if that's gone, importing goods become increasingly expensive. And the offset that you then get from the exports have less of an impact. So there you run into current account deficits. And then the other thing that happens alongside that is you also import a lot of your inflation. So if your current account is negative, so you're importing more than what you're exporting, and you're importing more expensive goods on the other end with a weak currency like the RAND, you're essentially importing inflation into the country which then translates into exactly what we've seen, significant monetary policy implications, higher interest rates to try and protect the currency and trying to bring inflation down. But the real cost there is obviously that the GDP then becomes a, a, a contentious point because that's under pressure. The other really important part is, is debt because you also need to settle your offshore debt in foreign currency. And as the currencies weaken under the strong dollar, Obviously, be, uh, repaying those loans become increasingly expensive, and ultimately, you can reach a point at, at its extreme where you start defaulting on your debt because you simply can't afford it. So, it, it really does become a become a, a quite substantial issue from a macroeconomics perspective. Yeah, it does become quite a bit of an issue, and. I really like the articulation of the different countries and the factors that are feeding into their own reasons for getting into it. And we've only spoken about a, probably a small group of countries in a sea of uh, emerging market countries, and they would probably have their own reasons, some of which you've already covered, particularly around, I think, the US dollar strength is one of those that has probably affected a number of uh, different countries. We keep hearing a lot about uh, certain devaluations that are being contemplated in in certain parts certain countries so that certainly feeds in now you can correct me if i'm wrong but we've been talking quite a bit about 
the reserve currency. But part of the issue here is, you know, what currency do you trade in? And earlier on, you were talking about um, the fact that if two countries are trading between each other, it makes sense, you know, to hold reserves, you know, just so that you can make some of that trade uh, quicker, smoother, faster and the like. But when it comes to actual global trade, we see that over 80% of uh, global trade is actually done in US dollars when we're talking about cross-border trades. So now the question then becomes how viable then is the suggestion by some emerging market uh, leaders to use other currencies like the Chinese yuan for that trade that's happening um, between uh, between currencies and even that creation of a of a BRICS currency. And once again, that's why I said, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that there's a that there might be a difference between the currency within which two countries choose to trade with versus what the global reserve currency is. Yeah, I think the important thing is that if you're after efficiency and and we see, for example, trade with China pick up quite significantly, nothing prevents us from retaining a bit more yuan in 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 reserve. So what are the additional benefits from establishing a, a BRICS country? So you've got a pencil down on the one end, potential benefits, and, and there will be benefits around, around the side. It gives us some clout on the in, international stage. It groups the collective power of the emerging markets, and it sets the tone for stronger negotiations, etc. But I think there's far greater benefits for, for some of the larger EMs like China and Russia than there would be for places like South Africa, for example, because South Africa, from a pure trade perspective, is perfectly able to trade without a BRICS currency. But if you look at Russia's motives, for example, they just want to break down the dependency on the dollar, and they don't want the US to have any controlling power over how they run their geopolitics or economy for that matter. So for them, the benefit is quite substantial. So I think the, the motives there are, are, are really important to understand. But I think the, the complexity that comes with administrating a cross-border currency of this nature and scale is underestimated. So if you look at the, the just the backdrop of what drives the different economies, which ones are largely commodity-based, which ones are largely manufacturing-based, and therefore also the policies in each of those countries are very different. The way that the the extent to which they are, are open and free to 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 where they potentially on on do not have convertible currencies and do not trade freely, there's certain restrictions that have, that that do apply there. Also has then an impact on how you protect the currency, how you manage inflation, how you manage interest rates. So with different sets of objectives and guidelines in each of these countries, how will that governance process exactly work? And if you need to pick it against something, against what would you pick it and what's the complexities that come with it? So I think the point that I'm just trying to make is that does the, 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 the benefits exceed the, 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 the associated cost or administrative burden for all the countries involved? And in my opinion, it doesn't. You can see clear benefits for some of them and, and not so much for some of the others. So I, I, I think that's something worth, worth investigating quite very carefully before you embark on a, on a journey like that. That being said, even if nothing changes, we'll see the dollar reserves across the globe proceed. And it has done so in the absence of a BRICS currency since the late 1990s. 
as we've just seen things like the euro pop up, for example, or, or the yen reserves start to pick up a bit. So countries are carrying more reserves in other currencies for the exact same reason as what the the BRICS currency is being fronted as, you know, attaining these various benefits. But many of those benefits are actually already in place. Even if you say, yes, but it creates for a more diversified currency, there's no re- reason why you can't structure your balance sheet as South Africa to have a broader spectrum of reserve currencies to diversify the balance sheet. So I think we are a little bit under pressure from the larger emerging markets who have substantial benefits to gain from this if you look at what their pol- political mo- motivations are. But in reality, I, I still remain doubtful that I think the administrative cost will far exceed any benefit in the South African case. Um, Adrian, um, I'm hoping that you know, you'll know you indulge me on this one as a follow-up because I wanted to zero in on uh, two specific points that, that you made right now. The first one just around the fact that obviously when it comes to global trade, some of these discussions probably benefit your larger countries in the grouping more than it does a South Africa. But if we were to take South Africa into consideration, South Africa, you know, some decides that, okay, fine, we are going to make this a currency that a lot of global trade is going to happen in. And I just wanted to check, do you think that would have an impact on, um, because a lot of the time, whenever the US dollar strengthens, as to your earlier point, we see rand weakness. And there's always that debate of whether that's domestic factors that drive the rand or whether that's international factors. And in a lot of communities, there's consensus that it's international factors that feed into whether or not the, the rand is uh, strong or weak. So if there's more trade that happens in the, the rand, for example, would that decouple that dynamic where a strong a strong dollar automatically leads to a weak rand where because there's more trade happening in rand you sort of increase the can I call it autonomy of uh, of the rand in terms of determining its own exchange rate I think the overarching theme relates quite closely to to what we struggle with at the moment and same can be said for other emerging markets I think if you want to have a stronger currency, sentiment towards the country in itself needs to improve quite significantly. The, the reason why the currency, at least partly, is so is so weak, yes, primarily in my view, that the strong dollar, but it has to be said that we've scored quite a few own goals. Um, we just saw what happened to the currency when it was announced that South Africa was potentially involved with, you know, the Russian, Russian arms supply, et cetera. And those kind of things continue to add pressure. But the same can be said on the other end of the spectrum. If you start to do many positive things that creates a positive sentiment around the country, then you can realistically expect the, the currency to to improve and be stronger and be better supported. At this stage, we still see a lot of foreign selling of our assets. Foreigners remain fearful of, in, of investing in, in South Africa. But if by some way we can execute on a strategy where there is more autonomy for the RAND and we improve the perception of the economic strength and the future of the country, that will only bode well for a relative rand strength. 
No, most certainly. Uh, it is an interesting one. And, uh, you know, obviously we're in a theoretical sandbox of some sort in terms of framing that one. And we wait to see what happens. But uh, coming back where we started, and I think this would be a great way for us to end off the discussion and bringing everything together. We've sort of dismantled in terms of uh, today's discussion. You've helped us to sort of dismantle some of the possibilities as to why a BRICS currency is currently not a viable option and that it's unlikely to be so anytime soon. So the big question then becomes, should investors be concerned in any way, shape or form around uh, this particular discussion? I think for from a South African investor's perspective, or for that matter, probably most investors globally, if there's an issue with the dollar, then that's a, a problem. Dethroning the dollar as the primary reserve currency around the globe is still a very far way out. I've mentioned that dollar reserves have declined now for decades, but it's a very slow process. So if you look at that number going back to the late 90s, it was just over 70% where it's now, it's in the high 50s. So there is definitely a trend that it's not as in vogue as what it used to be, but still, it's still three times as much as what the euro is, which is the second place for reserve currency holdings. So it's still a long way out before we see the dollar being dethroned. And the only way in which that can happen is if the alternatives that's competing with the dollar is attractive because it's set by a free market. And if that free market decides that, say, for example, the euro should be significantly more and the dollar should be significantly less, then there should be prevailing reasons for why the market has adjusted in that way, in which case the, the, the euro is the legitimate new reserve currency of the world. And it, it, there's obviously some change that will take place there. But by that time, it's sort of something that you've grown into the idea, etc. So I, I don't think there's anything imminent that we need to be concerned of. And I don't think it's anything that that's going to change anytime soon. But we should just observe these trends and see what the longer term picture is. But in this case, longer term picture is not something that's five or seven years. This is we, we're definitely talking about decades. But in the meantime, we should fully expect that the dollar reserves to, to recede as these discussions continue. But most importantly, for where investors are at this point in time, is that what we can expect is for as long as what the war continues and for as long as what emerging markets remain under pressure because of the strong dollar, these discussions will continue. And from time to time, we'll see things that might concern us and, and that will create volatility in, in the market. But I, I think it's highly unlikely that we'll see anything material that really constitutes a real risk. So I think the long story is uh, it's really important to distinguish between the noise in the system and the things that really structurally change the underpin of the investment backdrop. So just beware the volatility that comes with all these discussions and proposals. So that's where we end off uh, today's discussion. Now, uh, Adrian and I have had a number of conversations about uh, the short term versus the long term. And uh, I think for today's discussion, what is quite firm is that in the short term, there's no movement. We're not moving the needle when it comes to this uh, particular issue around the creation of uh, either a BRICS currency or an alternative to the US dollar when it comes to 
having a reserve currency that is an alternative. And uh, one of the things that he does mention, you know, at the end there is to say when we're talking long term, we're talking decades. So this is something that uh, investors should keep abreast of, just understand the trends, understand what's going on. But in terms of actually moving the needle, in terms of actual impact, in terms of actual movement happening, it's unlikely that uh, something is going to happen anytime soon. Of course, the free market comes into it, but at least for now, the market does seem to still be in a place where we did have uh, that statistic earlier on to say that uh, about 84% of the world is using the US dollar for cross-border trade, for example, right? That gives you an indication of where the market stands on the issue. And all of that against the backdrop that, yes, we have been seeing um, US dollar reserves coming down over time. But even then, that is not enough to dethrone the US dollar as the world's uh, global reserve currency. And then also just uh, talking about, you know, some of the factors that might help to increase autonomy of a local currency such as the RAND, you know, instead of uh, scoring so many own goals, which admittedly have happened, go to the other side of the spectrum and uh, the more positivity that is uh, associated with the country, perhaps that could uh, help at least on that specific country level. So that's been it. It brings us to the end of uh, this discussion around the viability of a uh, BRICS currency sponsored by PSG Wealth. Thank you so much to PSG Wealth's Chief Investment Officer, Adrian Pask, for joining us today. Adrian, thank you so much. Thanks, Madhira, and thank you to all our listeners. I've been your host, Mudiwa Gavaza, with the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Cards, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. <laughs>